Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, everybody. Juliana Forlano here for the Juliana Forlano Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Political Voices Network. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are joining me and wherever I am joining you. I know I listen to podcasts in all kinds of usual and unusual places. So wherever we are together, I hope I am making your day better and more interesting. Today on the program, well, I've got a treat for you. Leonard Grob and John K. Roth, they are both professors. They're authors of the new book, Warning, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy. YouTube and other places have said absolutely not. You cannot compare what's happening in the United States today with what is happening or what happened in uh, Germany prior to World War II. But I, I said, let's take it to the source. First of all, Leonard Grob, he is a professor emeritus of philosophy at Fairleigh Dickinson University, whose grandparents aunts, uncles, and cousins were all murdered in one day in 1942 during the Holocaust. He says that Holocaust, he's a Holocaust educator. He says that Holocaust education has to sound the alarm about how the Holocaust is a warning about what is happening today. We're going to talk about Trump's assault on democracy, the polarization of American society, the lure of authoritarianism, the assault on truth, and also some of the parallels to 1930s Germany. So that is all coming up on our show. Stay tuned for that. It's a very interesting discussion. It's a bit of a longer discussion. And with two professors, you know, we, we had to, we would, there was just a lot to say. There was a lot to learn and a lot to say. So I hope you will enjoy that. And it's perfect because I don't know if you saw the news. I know I usually do a newscast up front, but I'm just going to hit this one story. I mean, the news with Donald Trump is rapidly moving, rapidly unfolding. So if you don't watch this podcast like the second it's hot off the press, he's probably already indicted for 15 other things. I'm going to point out this story that really grabbed me. Did you see this? Donald Trump vowed to lock up political enemies if he is returned to the White House. And I am showing you this on uh, The Guardian. So The Guardian, out of the UK, yes, this is the US edition, but this is an international paper of note warning that former President Donald Trump on the Glenn Beck show, Glenn Beck, you know, is a right-wing lunatic who still has a show and a big following, he said that he would have no choice but to lock up his opponents because they are doing it to us. No, no, no. What he's missing is that we are running Republicans through the rule of law. And if they get locked up because they have come, come, you know, not followed the rule of law, then they are getting locked up. That's it. Let's hope. I mean, this guy, oof. here's this new story. In an interview with Glenn Beck, Glenn Beck raised 
Trump's 2016 campaign slogan, lock her up about Hillary Clinton. Lock her up for, I don't know, an email. <laughs> yeah, well, Beck asked him, do you regret not locking Hillary Clinton up? And if you're president, will you lock people up? And Trump said, and here's the quote, the answer is you have no choice because they're doing it to us. Yikes. This is scary. This is what authoritarian leaders all across the world do. This is what Orban does. This is what Putin does. This is what, I mean, this is not what the United States is supposed to be about. I know that Trump comes from the 1%. Trump comes from the class of people who often uh, consider themselves to be above the law. So that's fine. If president, God forbid, if if Trump gets in for another presidency and he decides to hold people to the rule of law, great. But hopefully it will, he's not just going to grab people off the street and put a black bag over their head and throw them in some jail for nothing. The rule of law is what's important. By the way, I wouldn't put it past him to do such a thing under any pretense because... Well, as we're going to see when we talk to our our upcoming guests on this show, Professor Leonard Greb and John K. Roth, we are in a very dangerous and very precarious position in the United States. And Trump is willing to be that authoritarian that, that throws us over the edge. So if he's in prison or not in prison, we still need to, you know, vote for, if we can still vote while we can still vote, Use the power of our voice and and vote to make sure he does not get in. All right, here comes our interview with these two fabulous professors. I hope you enjoy it. This is the Juliana Forlano Show. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having us. Uh, yes, we're we're privileged to be with you. So the one of the let's just start off here. The first Nazi comparisons have been off limits for American Jews and American pundits in general for a while. But that seems to have changed under the Trump era. Can you talk about the that switch and and What's bringing it about and where, why? Well, there's increased demonization going on. And the first thing that seems to come to mind is the paradigm of evil, supposedly, which is, which is Hitler and the Nazis. That's not our concern. We are very disturbed by what's happening in the 2020s, especially post 2020 election. And as scholars of the Holocaust and as academics and as persons, we hear echoes of what happened, what has happened in the 1930s in Germany. So we're really not so much talking about not Second World War and the Holocaust as such, but rather the prelude to the Holocaust, how it happened and how the destruction of democracy during the Weimar period led to the Holocaust, which did not happen out of the blue. There had to be precedents. 
and we're seeing some of the echoes of that that those precedents right now. Donald so I'll Trump's add on to what had, Lenny oh, said. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, our publisher uh, asked us to describe uh, this book that we call "Warnings: The Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy." The request was, tell us about this book in seven words. It's a great challenge, you know, tell, tell about what you're doing, but just in seven words. So my attempt to do this was to say that Warnings, our book, Warnings defends liberal democracy against 2020's threats. So what are the threats that we saw? Well, they include things like authoritarianism, lies, big and small, divisions between people, supremacy in terms of race and whiteness, minority rule, the philosophy that might makes right, and the idea that my rights and privileges trump yours. And as we thought about those, we, we, given the fact that we are teachers and educators who have studied uh, the Holocaust, our attention drew right away to what went on, in, as Lenny said, in the 1930s. And uh, high on the list, as he noted, was Hitler's desire to uh, destroy democracy and even to use the institutions of democracy, like parliament, to destroy it. And uh, again, you know, when we, when we looked back and forth between the 2020s in our country and the 1930s in Europe, we, we kept seeing linkages and themes that kept coming up. And as Lenny underscored, our, our aim is not to suggest that the United States is on the brink of genocide, perpetrating genocide or creating a, a repetition of what happened in the past. But what we are concerned about is the, the danger that democracy faces in the United States. And our, our longstanding belief is that when democracy is under threat and when it gets disrespected and even destroyed, Bad things happen. And yeah. the bad thing that happened in, in Germany was, uh, among other things, the Holocaust. Bad things will happen in the United States if our democracy does not, you know, rally and sustain itself. Can you talk a little bit about the recent trends that, I mean, our viewers have been following basically the recent trends, but from your uh, perspective, the recent trends that are the most concerning to you in regards to our uh, our progression toward an authoritarian state. We can start with Lenny. Yeah. What comes to mind initially uh, is the preponderance and the depth of the lie. Hmm. Lying and entering into a post-truth age seems to me to be the common denominator among many of the threats to our democracy. It has, of course, the big lie concerning an alleged fraudulent 2020 election is, the, is perhaps the outstanding lie, but there is in so many words that come out of the mouth, mouth of former President Trump and unfortunately, many, many of his Republican colleagues who may not in their heart of hearts want to be telling lies, but who are cowardly and in order to win a next election, continue the trend of lying. So we see lies everywhere and truth is the foundation upon which all of us humans uh, stand. And if the, if as I believe is beginning to happen, there is no distinction between right and wrong, between what's true and false, then we have no criteria by which to judge anything, and in particular, to critique the people who are in power. There's John, did you want to add? Yeah, there's a wonderful book title, a book I've read about the Soviet Union and then the Russian Federation, and the, and the title of the book is Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. And it kind of fits the point Lenny's making. If truth is dismissed, disregarded, if evidence is not 
taken seriously, then anything uh, can happen. So my response to your question would include just the point that there are big things and small things that, that, that are worrisome. And you put them all together and you've got a toxic brew. Big thing, an example would be the, the, the attempt that we witnessed to overthrow the presidential election in 2020. Big, big thing. And, and we're going to see whether the courts are capable of, you know, dealing with that if we get an indictment from Jack Smith and his team. But there are small things. Donald Trump claiming that the, that the press are enemies of the people. When, when you hear language like that, it's, it's time to start getting worried, especially when it comes from the person who is the uh, most powerful uh, person in the United States. One of the first things that Hitler did was to destroy the free press in Germany. And every authoritarian regime seeks to gain control of, of the media in one way or another because it's so powerful. And if you can discredit media that is in opposition to you by calling them enemies of the people, and then you, you know, you have a huge ization going on. Education is under duress in the United States right now. We see this with examples. It isn't completely widespread, but examples of book banning. Uh, sure. it, it's incredible to, to think that librarians are getting, you know, threats from people because their libraries hold books and, and they allow books to be borrowed that some people think, you know, should be banned. Well, you know, if, if you're a student of history, you know that the banning of books led in Germany to the burning of books. And as Heinrich Heine, the, the, the important uh, 19th century Jewish poet said, when books get burned, the burning of people is not far behind. Oof. And so, so big things and small things, but you put them all together and there's plenty of reason for concern about our democracy. And just one further note, and then I'll stop here. One of my worries, and I think Lenny shares this, is that we, we are, we're fearful that Americans are sleepwalking a little bit, that, that <laughs> Americans are more concerned about the price of gas or about you know, inflation. I mean, these are real concerns. They're, they're kitchen table issues. But as, as some commentators have said, we're not the only ones to say this, if democracy goes out the window, then, you know, those, those concerns will be uh, contextualized in an unfortunate way. You know, from as a media studies professor, looking back at or looking currently at the fact that we have Fox News and Sinclair and all of these media outlets that are purely spouting lies and not just lies, but a one-sided view the world that, you know, diversity is actually not good and all of these different anti-American sentiments. And so I, you know, I'd love your comments on that. And then I want to dig, drill a little deeper into this, this post-truth era, because this post-truth era has been happening since before Trump. And he, I mean, he has jumped on the fact that both political sides understand that most of our media is corporately owned. We have some non-corporately owned and therefore is going to be influenced by different, you know, corporate interests. In, and, and the fact that we've been lied to since time immemorial to prop up different corporate structures. I was saying they lied to us about cigarettes being safe. They lied to us about putting toxic chemicals on our food supply that Europe doesn't put on because they're not safe. They lied to us. They li the New York Times lied us into a war. So how can, what is the difference between this post-truth era and the before Trump post-truth era? I think we're, lies are not new, as you point out. It's, I, I see this on a continuum, and I think we have reached toward the far end of the continuum when we begin talking about post-truth, mm. when we can no longer pick up a newspaper or listen 
to a television program, depending on which channel it's on, and not have any trust that what we're hearing is based on fact, that there has been due diligence done, I think then we're in deep trouble. And I think we are really approaching that point now. So I see this really as a quantitative leading to qualitative difference between lies in the past, especially by corporate forces and what is happening today. I mean, we haven't had a quite a Donald Trump and the Trumpism which followed him, who has said the election, if, if I win it, the election will be valid. And if I, if I lose it, it's because of fraud. We haven't quite had that before. So the lies are bigger and in quantity and quality both. He did something very intelligent. He looked at how the presidency of George W. Bush was in fact based, I mean, on fraud and some of the other ones before that, I won't get into all of that. And he just took that, everyone knew, even Republicans knew, but they didn't care so much because their side won. Everyone knew that that was a possibility, that the electronic voting machines were said to be flipping votes to Republicans, et cetera. And he took that and put it out there at the forefront, which is brilliant. Does this, is there a parallel in history to what to what he did. What I'm thinking about, Juliana, is is what's the antidote to this? Is there is there a way through it and beyond it? And here I want to note that Lenny and I are people who have spent our lives teaching philosophy. And so we hearken back to a tradition that is full of questions and skepticism. Philosophy has a way of pressing the inquiry, just like you do in your, in your show. And I think if there is a, an antidote or a hope for some correction or some, you know, turning around and, and restoring a, for a truth, it, it lies in, in the uh, insistence and the persistence of inquiry of asking questions, of insisting that evidence be put forward, on calling things out when there isn't good evidence for them. And, you know, just keeping that tradition alive. I think journalists work at it pretty hard, even ones who are employed by, you know, corporate entities. Certainly programs like the one we're sharing today are doing that. And teachers that are are good at what they do inculcate these kinds of habits in their students and help to keep the the, the questioning and the skepticism going right it's, but doesn't that kind of feed the beast i mean people people are now you know this idea of like do your own research is a right wing trope for what they're telling you in science, we can take it to climate change because that's a safe thing to discuss on YouTube as opposed to some of the other things we're not able to discuss on YouTube without them dinging us. The, the skepticism has seemed to have gotten out of the box in a way that props up a fascist movement. Yeah, now I what do we do? <laughs> Well, I think we begin, you know, with our educational system, really begin with child rearing and then our educational system from the bottom up, because I'm not saying that that educators are impervious to the temptations to distort, but good teachers like good journalists and other good media people are, are countering that and what has happened with Trump is that he has brought out the worst of us. He has tapped into human potential for, for not good things. Mm -hmm. And we, unfortunately, many have bought into this. Good teachers like good journalists and good parents will help to, will 
instill lines of inquiry, the, the necessity of inquiring, of asking questions, of asking why. One of the things that occurred in the 1930s and, and 40s, of course, I, I'm thinking of something that happened, you know, during Primo Levi, who was an Italian Jewish prisoner, Auschwitz. And actually, not he, to interrupt you, but when I'm at home doing the show, the drowned and the saved is right over my shoulder. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Levi was uh, starving and uh, thirsty, like the other in, imprisoned people at Auschwitz. And he saw an icicle out the window and went to try to grab it and was told by the Nazi guard, no. And he asked why, and was told in Germany, there is no why here. And we have to remember this and constantly ask why. And if we do this as parents and educators from the bottom up, I think that's where hope lies. Oh, I hope I hope so. I know I know a lot of Americans are tr are hoping that the integrity of our democratic institutions will hold under the pressure that they are currently facing. And Jack Smith's inquiry and indictments are it's almost like the pinnacle everyone's putting the entirety of the democratic institutions on that. And I do see the current president trying to restore certain democratic institutions, things like, and some states trying to, even the gerrymandering issue, trying to pull that back in so that the one person, one vote, uh, um, I guess, idea of our country uh, can, can people can trust that again. But I think I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the lack of trust in democratic institutions, how we can fix that and 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 what role you think it's it's playing currently i don't know who wants to start i'll make, I'll make a try at it but you okay. put your fingers on <clears throat> something that needs to be underscored and that is that again and again we have discovered to our sorrow that the things that we took for granted can't be taken for granted institutions for example when lenny and i were were younger the idea that the Supreme Court of the United States would be something that you can't quite trust would, would have been almost unthinkable. <clears throat> but now we know that the Supreme Court is all too human, and it is one of those institutions that we cannot assume will save us from the destruction of democracy. We know this about all sorts of other institutions as well. And your point from a, a moment ago is that even the, the, the wisdom that exists in a kind of skeptical questioning attitude, even that can be uh, subverted and, and used uh, in ways that distort things. So the, the antidote for this, I think, is kind of doubling down on the on the values, on the good habits, on the assistance that we have to insist that evidence be presented for claims that people make, and we have to submit those claims to scrutiny. That would be on the part about how skepticism gets restored. On institutions, I think we have to do everything we can to hold accountable the people who hold power in the country. The institutions are only as good as the people who, who hold the positions in them. And it seems maybe too weak or, or maybe even a little naive to insist on it, but I think in a democratic society, you have to just keep mobilizing people to register to vote, and then you have to vote, 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 and do everything you can to through through democratic means to keep people who are hell-bent on destroying democracy from getting power. Now, it won't produce perfection, but it may at least prevent some of the worst things from happening. I mean, I look when I looked back in history, and I'm not a historian here, you both are <laughs> more far more history historians than I am. It seems that uh, sometimes these fascist takeovers 
And is it okay if we call the Republican Party fascists now? Because it certainly seems like they've they've crossed the line. Okay, good. Look, I have two scholars yeah. of Nazi history saying that this is okay. Okay, great. I'm anyone who gives a comment about how I'm being hyperbolic can go jump in a lake. Where was my question now? It seems that that when when someone gets into office and then they say, or a position of power, and then they say, I'm gonna change these systems and structures, and then they change them to allow more fascism. That seems like what we had with Donald Trump. And our move back to, I guess, the center with President Joe Biden seems like just putting a pin in it. And now we're waiting to see, I, I can't stress enough to people who are watching, to people who might talk to their parents or friends or answer children about, what's actually going on in our country, that one presidency, we are one presidency away from the destruction of American democracy. I certainly agree with that. That's why we wrote this book. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what the, what the book is about. I mean, when Lenny and I were, were uh, thinking about uh, writing a book, we weren't at first thinking about writing the book that we wrote. We, we have been friends for a long time and we share a lot of interests in common. And we, we said, oh, we need to do something together, which we've done before. But then when we saw what was going on and you put it so well, Juliana, we are, we are an election away from the destruction of American democracy. And 2022 was you know looking a little like it was trending for a while in that direction, then it didn't. So we stepped back from from a cliff, but 2024 is coming and democracy is going to be on the ballot big time in that election. So Lenny and I thought, well, well, let's write a book about the threats to democracy and the importance of the 2024 election. And we'll do this by, by taking advantage of our long experience and, and viewing this through the lens of history. And well, again, I'd understand that when, when democracy collapses or is under threat, bad things happen. And I think Americans have no idea what it might really be like to live under a regime where, let's say, a Vladimir Putin was your leader or where a second-term Donald Trump would be our leader. I mean, I think it would be something that is uh, hard for most Americans to grasp and imagine. But Lenny and I can imagine it because we've been studying this history for our, our, for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so that's what makes us concerned. Now, I think and, it's important to point out that your Leonard, Lenny, your grandparents were killed in the Holocaust. And not only your grandparents, but all of your aunts, all, all of your, fa your father made it out, but every one of his relatives were murdered on the same day. Americans yes. have no conception. We have, we have the horror of gun violence in elementary schools, and we can barely get our heads around that. But the conception of the horrors, you say bad things happen. I think we should talk about, I mean, people know about Auschwitz and whatnot, but I, I, when bad things come to America, I mean, I don't want to put it out there so we all envision it, that it happens. But I, I don't think, again, I'm with you. I don't think people even have an idea of what bad things mean in a larger sense than on a personal, this elementary school, that woman died because she was not given access to life-saving reproductive care. On a grander scale, we're talking about oppression. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I think that's true. By the way, I just to elaborate on something you said, I'm not sure that you mentioned that people know about Auschwitz. and that's, I'm not sure that that's accurate. Well, that, that we, uh, me greatly, uh, we, but... we on the on the East and West Coast and living privileged lives, I think, are in, are in cultures that where, where this is taught and where it is talked about. But I agree, we have no sense. And it's, it's difficult, you know, even if we tell stories about how bad it is, sometimes if we show a film or talk in very graphic terms about what happened. I'm not sure it's as believable as when we talk about the smaller things and how they add up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what we try to okay. do, you know, in, in, in the book, precisely because of what you said, that, that we, we can't imagine it. We can frighten people into it. What we can do is alert them. We can sound the alarm and that's what that's what we're trying to do. Well, I think you're doing a wonderful job and I thank you for the work that you're doing. Any final thoughts as we, I feel like I could talk to you for two hours, but I, <laughs> well, I um, think Juliana, you did something really helpful and something that resonates with me. And I think with Lenny too, when you, you, you started listing things that are, that are happening now in our country, which, uh, when you put them together, it, it, it looks pretty ominous and you can add to them. I mean, you talked about climate change. I think you talked about issues that are affecting, you know, some people who identify in ways that aren't mainstream. We haven't even gotten into religion yet at all, but you could go there too with, with white Christian nationalism as a, as, as a threat to, to democracy in, in the liberal sense of democracy. I'm very worried personally about the othering that's taking place for people who have trans identities. I, I think, you know, it it wouldn't be a bridge too far to say that if things turned really nasty, that group of people could become targeted even more than they are now, let alone the issues that women are facing in this country about health care and personal choices and things of that kind. So. It, it could all go further in those directions if, if certain interests and groups get power. And the way they will get power, if, if it succeeds, is by taking advantage of existing institutions and subverting those institutions for their advantage. And then they will destroy them. So it's, you know, it's on the doorstep. They're and doing, they, Trump... I mean, just putting the FedEx guy in charge of the post office to destroy it, putting the uh, that guy who doesn't believe in climate change in, in the head of the EPA. He literally, I mean, when someone shows you who they are, right, we need to believe them. Yeah. I didn't mean to cu- cut you off, and I will give you the final thought here, but I do have another another thought as we were having this discussion. We talked about being one presidency away from disaster literal disaster for our democracy and for ourselves, for our personal lives, for all of it. But it seems to me we are at least 10 presidencies away from rebuilding our American democracy. If I look back over the, even the course of my entire life from, I was born before Reagan, but I wasn't paying any attention, you know, from Reagan to even Clinton with NAFTA, you know, people who are supposed to be Democrats are supposed to be pro-labor, these things. It seems like we are, in order to rebuild faith in our institutions, which is so important going back to what we talked about, about truth. If you don't have faith in something, you no matter what they say, you don't believe them, right? So is that an accurate statement of rebuilding? We can't just, it's not just the one president saves us. We can't rely on that at all. This has to be stepwise. We have to mobilize our entire society toward this end. And here's where, of course, our parenting and schooling 
are very important. They're not going to, what happens in our schools and our homes is not uh, going to be sufficient, but it will be a necessary condition for change. We need to do that work. And presidency after presidency, four-year, eight-year periods at a time, we need to work from bottom up. I see no other way to affect the kind of change that you're talking about, Juliana. Juliana, I think one of the things that Lenny and I uh, came to see as we wrote our book is that it's important for Americans who uh, believe in democracy to have a vision of what democracy at its best looks like. And we, we argue in the book that democracy at its best is pluralistic, it's inclusive, it's, it, it includes multi-religious perspectives, it includes space for uh, gender differences, it, it, it has this expansive quality about it, which is, runs deep in the American tradition. You can, you can find it in the poetry of Walt Whitman in the 19th century. You can, you can find it in a novel like Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, where he says, you know, that diversity is the, is the thing and that, that we, are, we are destined to become one and yet many. And he says, this is not prophecy, but it's description. This is, this is what America is when it's at its best. So then if you, if you have a vision of what the country is, then you can, you can run it back and see where changes need to take place. So for example, we have a, we have a, a surfeit of what, I, what we call in the book minority rule in this country. It's perpetrated by things like the filibuster in the Senate. It's, it's perpetrated by uh, gerrymandered congressional districts where off of, uh, people who hold office get to pick their voters, rather voters pick the, the people they want to elect. It, it's, it's, clamping, it's, a, it's a culture that clamps down on the freedom of women. You can go on and on. And these are the things that have to be changed from within to make democracy what it what it ought to be in our country and so that's i think where we can see places where change is needed in in this in the very structures of our democracy it's pretty clear that you know the supreme court right now is under a lot of pressure about what kind of norms and standards are they going to operate by are they a freestanding minority elite group that you know is beholden to no one uh, I mean, we're going to see how that plays out, I think. Well, I hope all of this journalism that's being done and research that's being done into the fact that they are not independent, they are being influenced by big money and all of that. I really hope that that, that has some sort of impact. We'll see. The book is called Warning, The Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy. I don't think we have the scope of time to talk about the Ukraine in in the time that we have, but I did want to ask you, and I'm sure this is, this is going to be part two, I guess, but (laughs) it seems that the march of fascism is happening all around the world. Could you please comment? I mean, we've got Bolsonaro, we've got a fascist in Italy. We've got, can we, can we, could you please comment on why this is happening at this moment in history? Because that becomes terrifying when there's no one out there to maybe help us if we fall. I wish I had the key to a response about what we might do to halt. This is a global phenomenon. We see it. We see it everywhere, not just in the United States. Why is it happening? I think disparities between rich and poor have only grown. I think that racism has, and othering in general, has reared its head. It's contagious. From one culture. I, I don't believe it's by accident that we have at the same time Orban and Bolsonaro and, and others peaking at the same moment that Trump peaked. And I wish I had uh, the key to know why. I do think that seeing what is happening in one culture and talk about bringing out the worst of us, I think there are temptations 
toward authoritarianism and autocracy that are being modeled by one country after another. Someone interviewed uh, the other day who is a, a supporter of Donald Trump in the current campaign. And the person said, uh, he, Trump, says what I feel. And I think there is a, a symbiotic uh, relationship that many have noted, especially observers of the Trump rally phenomenon, that uh, Trump voices the feelings of uh, groups of people who, for one reason or another, uh, are grieved, uh, who feel that uh, opportunity is passing them by, who are, are fearful that a kind of multicultural, multi-ethnic development fueled in part by massive refugee migrations is going to completely take their lives away from them. So, you know, some of that's understandable. We always have stresses and strains as demographic and economic and, and political and now climate change takes place. So it's a precarious time and the authoritarian figure is someone who takes advantage of that unease and also reflects it and, and amplifies it by the messages that they, they, they send out. So again, the, the remedy for this is, from my point of view, to do everything you can with the democratic means available to reduce the amount of power that these, these folks get. And, you know, we, you know, we aren't hungry, so Orban is pretty much in control there. But we still have a chance in, in our country, and I think this is why we're defending Ukraine, too, because we hope that, you know, their democracy is not destroyed. But we have a chance in the United States if we don't, if we don't sleepwalk and if we don't act too slowly, we have a chance to keep democracy alive and well. Yeah, thank you so much. I think, I mean, this has been so, so helpful. I see the world suffering from the ravages of late stage capitalism and globalization. And that oppresses, you know, more people are oppressed. Okay, it's probably the best system there is. And yet <laughs> more people are oppressed by it than are lifted you know, are lifted by it across. And, and so, you know, the third world countries have been decimated by these corporations going down there, not caring and not having any rules to live by, no regulations. So I can understand the people are mad and they're looking for someone who speaks to their anger, but how on earth can they say, oh, this guy, this guy who was part of that oppressive system is gonna lead us out of it. Did he say, did Trump ever say, oh, I had to come to Jesus moment and you people are right and, and, and I shouldn't be grabbing women by the genitals and I, sh you know, it's not like he ever said, hey, I'm, I'm Che Guevara now, let's move on. You know, <laughs> there's, if they're not, I'm pushing back on your solution a little bit. If the people are not subject to logic then what? Do we still have a majority of people who are subject to logic? I'm hoping. Your thoughts? I, I do think that the best in us has not been destroyed. It is temporarily, I would say, somewhat on hold. And it's got to change because, as we have said, uh, things can get much worse very soon. But I, I do believe that the best in us will manifest itself given the prodding that teachers and parents, journalists, physicians, attorneys, workers who work with their hands, all of us have that potential within us to respect one another and to counter the othering. It isn't just academics that have the tools. All of us have within us the potential to honor the personhood of the other. And that's where I see hope to lie, just as we've seen what the bringing out the worst of us. You know, I identify with Trump because I feel like him. 
and we see the worst and there is also the best. I, th I think the other thing that I would add to uh, Lenny's point is that the longer I study history, you know, American history, but European history too, the more I see that historical developments are not fated to be, they aren't inevitable, they aren't uh, determined, that things happen because people make choices and decisions and groups get power and then they decide to do this rather than that. And when you, when you look back, you can see, no, we didn't have to have Nazi Germany. It could, it could have been stopped even after Hitler came to power. There were ways in which it could have been stopped. Same thing is true in the endangerment that American democracy faces. We're, we're not fated to lose our democracy. If we lose it, it will be because we've made the wrong decisions and the wrong choices. And so the, the effort that has to be made is to try to do everything we can from education to good journalism to good politics to try to keep the powers that be on the best track that we can we can keep them on and it won't be perfect but it may be able to foil the the, the worst professors leonard grab and john k roth uh, and uh, you are the most respected hol uh, Holocaust scholars in the world, some of the most respected and, and philosophers. Your new book, Warning the Holocaust, Ukraine and Endangered American Democracy, is available. Where all books are available. <laughs> I thank you so much for coming on the program today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Um, you have pushed the conversation in such good ways, yeah. Juliana. Thank you for that. I agree. Well, thank you for that compliment. <laughs> I can't say I don't appreciate it. You're listening to Juliana. I'm Juliana Forlano. This is the Juliana Forlano Show on the Political Voices Network. Stay tuned for more. I really enjoyed talking with them. I'm Juliana Forlano. This is the Juliana Forlano Show. If you enjoyed this program or are continuing to enjoy it, would you please? If you're listening to it on, on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, leave, leave a review. That's how these podcast platforms know to, you know, push you forward. Leave, leave a good, positive review if you are enjoying this program. You can find me and a lot of other interesting progressive talkers on the Progressive Voices Network on YouTube. I'm there several times a week, as is Stephanie Miller, Tom Hartman, John Fugelsang, JoJo from Jurors, and a bunch of other folks. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.